this is one of those passages that that truly presents God's holiness. And Leviticus is about God's holiness. It truly it presents God's holiness in such a way that is fearsome and terrifying. In a way that truly challenges you as a believer. Whether or not this God that we worship is truly a good God, a compassionate God. You know, we, we often say that we want to live a God-centered life. A life that's centered around God. We, we want to worship God. We want to make Him, have him glorified. Right? We, we say we, that we want to put Him first in our priorities. And we say, we, we, you know, what, that, what does that mean? It means maybe we just need to pray more. You know, pray before we do anything. Pray in the car. Pray before our meals. Maybe we just need to read God's Word more. Maybe, maybe that's what it means to have a God-centered life. And we want to live that out. So we try to... We try to squeeze in God's word here and there. Right? Write down note cards or bring your Bible to places. Read, read when you have some dead time. Or maybe for you, when you say you want to live a God-centered life, you're telling yourself, man, I just, I just need to think about God more in everything that I do. Maybe that's what it means to glorify God in all that we do. Well, God-centered life. The cost in her life is one that's dedicated to seeing God glorified above everything else. And this passage tests us. It tests your faith. It tests whether or not you truly desire a, a life that's centered around God and His glory. You see, one way you can test your God-centeredness is by asking yourself this question. Say if one of your parents tomorrow gets in a car accident and passes away, would you still praise God? Would you still glorify Him? Would you still follow Him? If God takes away one of your parents tomorrow, how will you respond? That's what this passage here deals with. This passage we're going to see here in Leviticus 10 is, is it's just going to show us the reality of God's holiness when it meets the fallenness, the fallenness of this world. When God's holiness meets our fallenness, what happens? And when that happens, we give glory to God in His ways. I didn't have time to really create a lot of slides, so this is my only slide. Now I'll give you guys the central message up front. Leviticus 10, what this chapter is about. It's about God's holiness being essential to His glory and that He will not allow His holiness to be violated by sin. And so turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10 and we'll come and read the story about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Nadab and Abihu. In Leviticus chapter 10, starting, starting in verse 1, well, first of all, let's, let, me remind, let me remind you guys where we're at with our narrative. Right? Leviticus, we understand this is a book of the law, but it's a narrative. It's a narrative held within the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. In chapter 9, chapter 9, which we covered last month, 
Um, at chapter 9, we see here that Aaron and his sons, they performed their first inaugural service, right? So we have in the first eight chapters, uh, the, all the laws of God given to Aaron, given to Israel, saying these are burnt offerings, these, these are the, the sin offerings, this is all the things you got to do. And then, this, and then Aaron and his sons performed their first service. They performed their first offerings to God. And they did all of them, right? They did perform the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the sin offerings. And after they performed all the offerings, it says here in chapter 9, verse 23, that Moses and Aaron walked into the tent of meeting. And this is huge, right? Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. This is huge because at the end of Exodus, the tent of meeting was blocked off. It was inaccessible because the glory of God surrounded it. No one can enter. How can one enter? And yet here, they went in and everybody held their breath. They're asking, will they come back out alive? Right? Will God be pleased with them? You know, throughout Israel history, they say that when the priest went into the tent of meetings, they actually tie a rope around him to make sure that, you know, if he dies, someone needs to pull him out <laughs> all of a sudden. Right? So, I mean, this is, this is a huge thing to walk into the tent of meeting into God's presence. Will the person live or will the person die? And it says here, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meetings, and when they came out, oh man, they came out. They came out, and they blessed the people. And it says, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then what happens? Verse 24, chapter 9, verse 24 says, Fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offerings and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This was a joyous moment. For the first time since the Garden of Eden, God dwelt amongst people. The way to the Lord that was once blocked off was now made accessible. This was a good thing. But just like the Garden of Eden, when a good thing happens, when a good thing is established, sin has a way of rearing its ugly head. Like the Garden of Eden, Satan deceives two individuals, Nadab and Abihu, deceives two individuals who should have known better. Two individuals who should have kept the word of the Lord. And these two individuals offered a strange fire. A strange fire that the Lord has not commanded. Read with me. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 says this. Now Nadab and Abihu, <coughs> the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Man, right here on the exact same day as the first worship service, all of a sudden, Nadab and Behu disobeyed. Fire came out and they died. And verse 1 begins with a positive note. It says here that they took their censer, they put fire in, they laid incense in it, and they offered, and, and laid incense in it, and they offered. These are actually words used to describe the priestly duties in chapter 8 and 9. Right? These, these are actually good words. These are, they're doing their duties. But, it takes a dramatic turn when it says here that what they offered was unauthorized. Strange. A strange fire before the Lord. 
Now, not much is known about this fire. Right? All we get here is that this is a strange fire. It's an unauthorized fire. It's a, it's a foreign fire. Uh, commentators kind of wonder, they debate about, you know, what exactly did they do that was wrong. Some say that it could refer to these coals, coals that were used to lit the incense. And in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12, it tells us that the coals for the incense which had to be taken from the altar. So maybe they took coals from their own, I don't know, campfire and sent them from the altar, and they lit up the incense. I don't know. Or perhaps they used the wrong ingredients for the incense, right? The ingredients had to be very specific. Strange can also refer to the brothers maybe offering these incense, this incense at the wrong time of the day. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 9, it infers that it infers that a strange fire, an unauthorized fire, is, is incense offered not in the morning or in the evening as the Lord has commanded, but maybe sometime during midday. Whatever it is, what we do know about this fire is that it was not commanded by the Lord. It was not commanded by the Lord. And so as a result, as a result, it says that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died. Fire, the same fire to consume the sacrifices that we saw in the biggest chapter 9. That same fire no longer consumed the sacrifices, but consumed the sinner, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. In verse 3, the Lord explains himself, says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Excuse me. We see here. We see here. We see here in verse 3. God says, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for God to be sanctified? Right? We oftentimes think about sanctification as being a process we go through. But it says here, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be made holy. Well, how does God be made holy? God is holy. What God is saying here is that for those who are close to me, they will recognize me as holy. They will revere me as holy. They will uphold me as one who is holy beyond holy. Those who draw near to God, especially the high priest, must uphold God's holiness. When spiritual leaders revere God, when they, when they revere God's holiness, that is when they live in the fear of the Lord, that's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. What happens? Well then, before the rest of the people, they will glorify God, right? Before all the people, I will be glorified. The rest of the people will glorify God. What this is telling us is that the way you treat God, the way you treat God speaks volumes to the people around you. If you treat God as, I don't know, your buddy-buddy, as someone that you just, you know, you turn to as, as a good friend, someone whom you're, you turn to when you're stressed out, or someone you can easily ignore when you're, when you're doing just fine. When God is just that 
distant person in your life, that acquaintance, then the people around you will think that your God is just some personal spiritual therapist. But when you treat God as holy, as the sovereign Lord of the world, the maker of your life, and you treat God as one who saved your soul from the pits of hell by sacrificing his own son on the cross for your sins, then the people around you will see your God as God. How do you, how do you treat God? But moreover, what this verse is telling us here is that God and His holiness and His glory will win out no matter how, no matter how you perceive God. Right? God says, I will be sanctified. I will be glorified. And that's exactly what we see here. Note that when disobedience happens, here, right? When disobedience happens, like Nadab and Behu, when they offered this strange fire before the Lord, it's not God's holiness didn't get tainted. Instead, God's holiness swallowed up their fire and burned them, consumed them. I mean, you would think, you would think that God being so holy, that, that any sin would blemish his holiness. I mean, that's how clean and unclean works, right, in general. I mean, think, for instance, like a, a bio lab that requires to be super clean, right, pure. Uh, what do you have to do? You have to decontaminate, right? Decontaminate assumes that any small impurity will contaminate the whole lab. But yet here, this strange fire was brought in and it wasn't God's holiness that was contaminated. Instead, God's holiness swallowed up Nadab and Abihu's disobedience. In the end, God remained holy. I will be sanctified. I will be glorified. And Aaron, upon hearing all this, says here, Aaron held his peace. Aaron remained silent. Um, we don't know why he remained silent, but we just know he was. Maybe he accepted it. Maybe he was too shocked. Whatever the case is, he was at a loss for words. The narrative continues here. In verse 4, <clears throat> says this, And Moses called to Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses has said. And we even see here that because Aaron and his two other remaining sons are high priests, they are consecrated. They can't touch dead bodies, even as their own family members. And so they asked their cousins, their uncle, to help carry out these dead brothers. And it says here in verse 6, Moses then turns to Aaron. Right? Moses said to Aaron, to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons tells him this do not let the hair of your head hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation but let your brothers the whole house of Israel bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die for an anointing oil of the Lord is upon you and they did 
according to the word of Moses. I mean, you, you, read, you read two verses like this. <coughs> you read two verses like this, and naturally you come away frustrated with God. I mean, God is telling Aaron and his two remaining sons to not mourn for their dead brothers. Don't mourn. If you mourn, you would die. But why not mourn? Why can't they mourn for them? I mean, they... Isn't that just... Isn't that just unsympathetic? This is, again, where we need to be challenged in our God-centeredness. What does it mean for, for us to hold God's holiness as the most important and essential part of our lives? God here, God is telling Aaron, Eliazar, and Ithamar, He's telling them that there is greater offense here being done than Nadab and Abihu's death. There's a greater offense here. And that greater offense it's their failure to revere God and His holiness. In other words, God is telling Aaron and his remaining sons this. Mourn the fact that I was belittled by their disobedience. Mourn the fact that my holiness was not revered by their actions. Do not mourn for your brothers. Unless people think that their judgment was unjust. See, God wants to make sure it gets communicated to the rest of Israel that their judgment was righteous. That God's holiness matters more. Mourn for God because He took great offense in their sinful lack of respect and reverence for Him. Let me ask you this. Does your God-centeredness does it, does it hold God's holiness in such a way that, it's, that God's holiness is untouchable, unassailable, it's an unassailable tenet of your life? That this is the one thing that you make sure that you keep your mind and your eyes fixated upon. Leviticus chapter 10. Again, the central message here is telling us that holiness is essential to God's glory. He will not allow His holiness to be violated by sin. Well, it, it, what it means then for us to give our lives to follow God is to say that God's holiness and God's glory matters, matters more to us than anything else in this world. matters more to us than anything else that can come into our lives. I mean, Jesus himself says the same thing in Luke chapter 9, verse 59 to 60. Jesus told a man who desired to first bury his recently deceased father. And Jesus tells him, no, leave the dead to bury their own. And go proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is telling this man, if you want to follow me, you must let go of everything you hold dear in this world, even your own family. And proclaim to this world that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is far more important and essential to you. Turf, have you guys given up your lives to truly follow God? Are you in a place where you say, I'm going to give up everything for Him? It doesn't mean you drop out of school and all that. 
But what it means is that you're that no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter what may come upon me, no matter what your next step may be, when you graduate, when you go find a job, whatever it is, God is always at your center. That you care more about God's glory than your success. That you care more about obeying God than making sure you can get everything you want in this world. That you make sure that you Uphold God and His holiness more than your own safety, more than your own comforts, more than your own security. Because God matters that much to you. That's what it means to follow God. And that's what this passage here challenges us with. Back in Leviticus chapter 10, in verse 8, the Lord now turns to Aaron. And here is the only time in Leviticus where God speaks directly to Aaron. And it says here in verse 8, The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meetings, lest you die. It will be a statue forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. We see here that <clears throat> we see here that there's three commands given to Aaron. Three commands given to Aaron. It's, it's, this is actually here is a representation of God's grace to Aaron. Right? Even though his sons disobeyed, God's promise to Aaron that he and his household for generations will continue to be the priesthood, high priests of Israel remains. And God says, yeah, your sons disobey, but here is your commands. <coughs> and he tells them, first, drink no wine or strong drink. So remain abstinent. And, and, and the command here to remain abstinent is interesting because it, seemingly, it seems to come out of nowhere here. Some commentators think that perhaps Nadab and Abihu were drunk when they brought this strange fire in, right? They were just having fun. I don't know, going going crazy. Other comment and but I think the best way to actually explain why it's important for the high priest to stay away from any wine or strong drink is because they need to stay they need to stay sober in order to perform the next command in order to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And now we'll get more into the clean and unclean laws next time. Uh, in chapter 11 to 15, we're going to read all about the you know, clean and unclean animals, the, the uh, childbirth, all that, all that stuff, leopards. Um, and so we'll deal, I'll talk more about what it means to be clean and unclean next time. But what's important here is that the priest here holds the responsibility the priest holds the responsibility to separate out what is clean, what is holy, from what is common and unclean. And in order for them to do that, in order for them to do that, they must have a clear mind. They must have a clear mind, a sober mind. And this is perhaps the best way to even understand the clean and unclean laws. It's, it's not about necessarily the dietary restrictions or cleansing rituals it's it's really about how to separate 
How do we remain separate and distinct from all other things in this world and all other nations? And it tells us here that as they do this, they're also to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord, meaning they are to pass down the word of God from generation to generation. It's what we see here. It's a reminder for us as Christians that in order to recognize God and His holiness, in order to truly live a God-centered life, we must have a clear mind. We must have a clear mind. Right? We, we, I mean, to make decisions for God requires your mind to be sharp. It requires your thoughts to be clear, your perception unhindered, your aim true. Uh, maybe we here as fellowship don't necessarily struggle within this church, necessarily struggle with drunkenness too much. And perhaps that's not part of you know our, our common culture here. But how many of you guys feel how many of you guys feel like your mind is actually clear? Like how many of you guys feel so so tired all the time? Exhausted. How many of you guys feel so stressed out where you can't even think about God? Your mind is just so weighed down. How many times, I mean, think for a moment. How many times have you fallen to sin because you just couldn't keep your head on straight? Or you couldn't keep your emotions in check? And so, you just have a hard time staying focused. Have a hard time making that clear and right decision at that time. Or how many times have, have we just struggled to focus on praying, to focus on reading God's word, to focus even on listening to sermons. You see, drinking might not be a major problem, but we are still wrestling with how to keep our minds clear, especially in a world where you can be intoxicated and inundated by all the noise and media, by all the entertainment that can flood your mind, and it can silence the word of God in your decision making. I mean, I, I know when I get up in the middle of the night, to, when my son wakes up and I have to get up and soothe him, it's the middle of the night, but for some reason my mind is running. The, the thing that is always running on is the last thing I like, last thing I either watched or thought about before I slept. So if I've like watched a movie or TV show before I went to sleep, it's that, that scene runs through my mind over and over again as I'm putting my son back to sleep. I mean, you're, we're, we're, our minds are constantly being filled with different things. And what are we meditating upon? I try, to, I try to spend those times when I'm up in the middle of the night, try to focus my mind back upon God's word. And it's hard. It takes energy, but it takes a certain focus. See, just as God is telling Aaron here, he's telling Aaron that his holiness matters, and the only way to truly honor God's holiness is by keeping your mind clear and focused upon His Word. It's the same thing applies to us. The only way for us to make clear decisions for God is by keeping our minds focused upon God. Now again, everything is happening here within the span of the same day. And so Moses, in verse 12, turns his attention back to finishing up all the different offerings that were being offered during this inaugural service. And so Moses spoke, in verse 12, it says, Moses spoke to Aaron, 
to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. And pretty much he's telling them, hey, all the offerings are made. Now it's time for you to eat. Because you need to do that. You need to finish up the, 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 the offerings by eating what you need to eat. Right? And it says here in verse 12, it says, Take the grain offering that is left for the Lord, left of the Lord's food offering, and eat it unleavened besides the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due. From the Lord's food offerings, for, for so I am commanded. But the breast as waved and the thigh as contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your sons due for the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed, and the breast as wave, they shall bring with the food offerings of the, of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due for it forever, as the Lord has commanded. So, here we just see that Moses is bringing their attention back to the offerings to finish it up, eat the rest of it. All right. So, so that's what's going on here. Now in verse 16, Moses turns his attention to the goat of the sin offering. And he finds out that Aaron's other two sons, surviving sons, disobeyed God as well. It says here in verse 16, Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eliazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is the thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary, as I commanded. <coughs> The sin offering, as a reminder, when it's made, if the blood was brought into the tent, then it was to be burned up. But the blood was brought to the altar, then the offering was to be eaten by the priests. Here the goat offering was not brought into the tent of meeting, so Elizar and Ithamar should have ate it as end of burning the carcass. So again, on the same day, on the same day where God were Nadab and Abihu disobeyed God. Aaron's other two sons also disobeyed. And the question then, that should be on our minds, is what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? Aaron, though, stepped in. He explains himself. He says this, Verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these has happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? Aaron is saying that on this day, on this day, he and his family has already offered sin offerings and burnt offerings, and yet his two disobedient sons, Nadab and Behu, they desecrated themselves by offering the strange fire, and they were judged for it. And so Aaron thought, well, if this happened, even when we try to obey God, 
Are we then worthy of really eating the sin offering in God's place? Remember, when the priests ate the offering, they were, the, they were mediators between Israel and God. They represented God as accepting the offering from Israel. And Aaron's probably wondering, are we worthy? Are you truly worthy today to eat this offering when my two sons shame my family, shame my family, and disobeyed? Am I truly worthy to eat this sin offering today? Would God be pleased with me? You see, Aaron's reasoning for disobedience here is not out of negligence or carelessness. It is still disobedience. Moses said they should have ate it. It would have been a huge blessing for Israel. But yet, their disobedience came out of fear of the Lord. Came out of fear of the Lord. He wanted to do what was right to honor God as holy. And Moses then, it says in verse 20, when he heard that, when Moses heard that, he approved, which tells us that God approved of Aaron's reasoning as well. At the end of the day, when we read through a book like Leviticus, it is not about the laws. It's not just about the laws or the rules. It's about whether or not you in your heart consider God as holy. Whether or not you consider His holiness as the center of decision making. Whether or not you in your heart look upon these rules and say, you know what, I will obey because God, you are holy and I want to honor you. And this brings us back really truly to the heart of worship. That a heart of worship it is not about whether or not you come to church, whether or not you read God's word, whether or not you pray every day, but it's, not, it's about whether or not you truly desire God and recognize Him as God, Lord of your life. The heart here matters. And God is the discerner of hearts. Right? We know that God looks upon man, not the way man sees man, but looks upon the heart of man. God cares about the hearts your motives. We obey scripture not because it makes us righteous. We obey scripture because we want to please God. And we please God when we revere Him and His holiness above anything else. God is holy. We treat Him as such. Two applications. If you're here today and you're wrestling with sin, you're wrestling with sin and you read a passage like this and God's holiness terrifies you and it should. I want to remind you that no sin, no sin of yours, no matter how great or small it is, can taint God's holiness. God's holiness will remain. But what that means is that right now during this time when you have not been judged, where you're not, we have not died and you're before the throne of God, Right now, God is graciously giving you this time to repent. To repent and cling to Christ who made a perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Cling to Him and come to know Jesus who made a way for you. Second, if you're, if you're wrestling with walking closely with God, with 
know, how, with maybe you're struggling with reading His Word, with praying, with obeying His commandments, I want to remind you that it's not about the obedience. It's matter of the heart. Matter of the heart. Do you truly treasure God in His holiness as you should? Or in the New Testament language, do you treasure Christ as your Lord and Savior where you're willing to sacrifice everything to follow Him? You know, it's, it's, that's where it really, truly starts. And so if you're, if you're struggling today with your daily disciplines, I want to ask you to think back to your testimony. Think back to your salvation story. Think back to the time when you first encountered God in the gospel, in the beauty of the cross. You saw how holy He is. You saw how simple you are. And you saw how Christ made the way possible for you to be, to be drawn near to God. You see, God's holiness matters to us. It matters to us because we're sinful beings. How then do we draw near to God if God is so holy? The answer is Christ. And when you recognize that, when you think back upon the time when you first encountered the cross, you first encountered Christ, let that remind you and stir in you a love for God and have that, have that motivate you to truly come to God's Word day by day, to pray to Him, to go to Him, to center your life truly upon God. God's holiness is essential to His glory and He will not allow His holiness to be violated by sin. But thanks be to God that He gave us Jesus Christ so that in Him, in Him, we can be made clean and be drawn near to God, be made holy in Christ alone. Let me go ahead and pray for us. <clears throat> Father, I thank You, Lord, for Your Word that challenges us in different ways, that shows us, Lord, just how hard how hard some truths can be. But Lord, we need reminders like these to remind us of your holiness and remind us of our own sinfulness, to remind us of the, the sinfulness of this whole world. And God, the answer indeed is Jesus, who bridges the gap between you and us. Lord, let us, let us continue to come before you with with hearts of worship, hearts that truly revere you for who you are, that recognize truly how humble and how deeply grateful we are because of Jesus. And help us, Lord, then, come before you to live a life, Lord, that truly honors your name, that says your will be done, that says your glory, not ours. So God, I pray for all of us here that we will continue to walk a life that that pleases you. That Lord, we will not walk in the ways of they that would be who, but we will walk in the way of Aaron, who seeks to honor you with his life, who seeks, Lord, to glorify your name. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son. And thank you, Lord, for drawing us near.
May we dare continue to cherish you every single day. I pray all this in your name. Amen.